Good morning, gentlemen, on this beautiful, wonderful day. So the Torah is going to take a break for a moment, not a moment, for a chapter, to go away from the story of Yosef being sold by his brothers and his descent into Egypt and becoming the uh, leader, the person in charge of the house of Potiphar. And we're going to interrupt with another story that seemingly is not part of the flow of the story of Yosef, but it happens because Yehuda had been the lead uh, he was the leader of the brothers at the end of the day. He was the one that really guided them. And, you know, he was the head, the, the big macher. And after they saw the pain of their father, Yaakov was in tremendous suffering, as mentioned yesterday. And they wanted to tell Yaakov what happened. They were not able to. They had made, a, we discussed this yesterday, they made a vow with each other and with God not to share what had happened with Yaakov uh, and to go to Egypt to look for Yosef. So they, they vent their frustration. Of course, you got to blame somebody, right? So they blame it on Yehuda. Say, if you would have told us, you told us not to kill him and to sell him, and we'd listen to you. If you would have told us to return to our father, we also would have listened to you. And therefore, Yehuda was demoted from his leadership amongst the brothers. They became a little less interested in listening to him. And so Yehuda decides to go into business. So he goes into a partnership with a man from Adulam by the name of Chira. And while he's there doing business, he sees the daughter of a merchant named Shua. He marries her, and they have children. The first child is called Er. second child is called Oinon. And the third child is called Shela. Three sons, Er, Oinon, and Shela. Anyway, she stops having children. And now Yehuda decides it's time for his son Er to get married. And so he finds a very, very beautiful wife for his son Er. Who is his wife? Her name is Tamar. Tamar. Now, Tamar actually was the daughter of Shane, which means that she was not so young. She had to be at least 65 years old, but it's okay. She was very righteous, and she was very beautiful. So beautiful that when Aaron married this unbelievably beautiful lady, who is also extremely holy and righteous and comes from a very special family, Aaron does not want to make her pregnant. Because when a woman becomes pregnant, although they're creating a life, and that's the greatest thing in the world, they're less pretty. The body is stretching, etc., etc. And so Er is so in love with the beauty of his wife, he decides not to allow her to become pregnant. And therefore, whenever mm. they are intimate, what does Er do at the end of the intimacy before he actually gives forth his seed that can make his wife become pregnant? He removes himself from her and instead wastes his semen on the ground. And he prevents his wife from becoming pregnant. And in the eyes of God, wasting your seed is a tremendous sin, something that's is a tremendous act of immorality. And let's talk very, very briefly. Why is it considered such a great sin? In some ways, worse than forbidden relationships, because seed, the semen of a person, contains as close to infinity as a human being will get. The ability to create another person is within the semen of a person, of a man. And therefore, since you have literally the power to be like God in the ability to create another human being, when you take this tremendous power and potential and you waste it, it's considered a tremendous sin in the eyes of God Almighty. And therefore, because the Torah doesn't say what Er did wrong, we'll know from the next time. But what the Torah does tell us is that since Er was very wicked in the eyes of Hashem, therefore God made him pass away. So there's a mitzvah called Yibum. Yibum means that when the person dies without having children, the brother of the person that passed away marries the widow that's still living, and they have children, and the first child is named after the person who passed away, 
And this is a way of keeping the name and the legacy and the memory of the deceased brother alive through this, in English it's called leveret marriage. So Yehuda takes the second brother, Oinan, and says, you're going to marry your widowed sister-in-law in order to do the mitzvah of Yibam, to have children in the name of uh, your deceased brother. Now, Oinan knew that the children would not be in his name, in his brother's name. So therefore, what did he do? He would waste his seed upon the ground. And he didn't want to give seed towards the naming of his brother. So even though his intention of why he was wasting his seed and not allowing himself to finish having a intimacy, to finish a climaxing in his wife and having a child instead of going out, even though his reason was different, but the sin was the same. And that, how do we know? Because the Torah says, and since he was also wicked um, uh, in the eyes of, his, of God, he also died, meaning for the same sin that his brother died, he also died. So now Yehud is a little bit nervous to take the third son, Shayla, and marry him off to the same girl who has two other sons married this girl and they died. <laughs> yeah, so excited about doing the third. So he says to Tamar, listen, Shayla is still young. He's the youngest of the three. He's, too, he's not ready for marriage yet. Wait a few years, let him get a little older, and then, um, and then, and then we can marry him off. Now, Yehuda was not being honest here, because Yehuda actually did not have any intention of marrying off Tamar at all. It wasn't his plan. And yet, uh, he says to wait a few years. He, should, he wanted to keep Tamar. He could have had Tamar as a way of chalitza, a way of releasing a, a woman from this leveret marriage. But for whatever reason, Yehuda didn't want to release her. He wanted to keep her within the family. But he says, not now. Anyway, time goes by. Shua, the wife of Yehuda, also dies. A lot of death in his family. So two of the sons of Yehuda have died. His wife, Shua, has died. He finishes the mourning for his wife, and he decides it's time to go back to my business deals. So he goes back to meet his friend, uh, the, the Adulami, Hira, from Adulam. So he's going up, and as he's on the way, he's going up to the city of Timnah. That's where he's sheep there, he's going to Timnah. Tamar hears that Yehuda is traveling to Timnah. So what does he do? What does she do? She wants, she sees prophetically, as I said to you before, Tamar was a very righteous lady, which would explain why Yehud was so desperate that she should marry his kids. She was his daughter of Shem. She was from a righteous family. She prophetically saw that she was destined to have children in the family of Yehuda. So she saw that Yehuda is not giving Shayla to her in marriage. She already is smart enough to realize that he's just pushing her off and not answering her phone calls or whatever. So, uh, she decides to go and put matters into her own hands. And as Tamar, uh, sorry, as Yehuda is coming up to the crossroads of Timnah, there's a very famous crossroads there where Avraham would sit. The, this crossroads is a place where Avraham used to sit and teach Torah. And therefore people would go and stop there. And she was sure that Yehuda would come there as well to visit this place that his grandfather Avraham had been. And when she comes there, she's dressed like a prostitute. She's dressed like a prostitute. Yehuda sees this prostitute, and even though the Torah tells us that he was a righteous man who did not normally behave in such a way, he felt an unbelievable longing and yearning for this woman. Why did he feel such a tremendous yearning? Well, the real reason is because Hashem set this up. This whole, you're going to see soon, this was all set up by Hashem in order to have the children that will be born from the union of Yehuda and Tamar. But he feels a tremendous yearning for her. And... Um, he turns towards her. How did he not recognize it was his daughter-in-law? So the Torah says 
and he assumed that she was a prostitute because she had covered her face. Now, it's hard to imagine that she had covered her face at the moment. Because although, Baruch Hashem, gone to these places, it's hard to imagine that prostitutes convince you to be with them by covering their bodies, right? And covering their faces. That's normally not how they do it. So it's hard to imagine that she's sitting at the crossroads with a, you know, a veil, a veil with a sign like, you know, so the commentators explain that when she was in her father-in-law's house, she had been so modest that she had never uncovered her face in her father-in-law's home. So obviously in her own home, she was uncovered. But in her father-in-law's home, she kept the laws of modesty even beyond what would have been required of her. So you get a feeling for what a righteous, modest woman she was. And therefore, Yehuda couldn't even imagine that she would be the, the kind of woman that Tamar was, who was so modest that she kept the laws of Tzniot, even within the home, not outside the home. Even in the home when the father-in-law was there. So therefore, he didn't even suspect that that could be her. And Vayet Allah al-Hadarach. He turned towards the way he was going. He was like turned towards her. And there was a there was a pull that he fell towards her. And he says to her, Please prepare yourself so I can be together with you. If I may cohabit with you. Um, so she says to Yehuda, What will you give me as a payment? So he says, I'll give you a gdi izim and I'll give you a young goat, a kid goat from my flock. My flock is not here. I'll send them to you. I'll send a, a goat. So she says, no problem, good deal, but I need a guarantor, I need a collateral in the meantime to ensure that the goat you're going to send me, what will you give me in the meantime? So what do you want? So I want your stick, your signet ring. Signet ring was where they would seal letters, they would stick their ring into the wax to make sure no one would break the seal. And your, your cloak, you had a special cloak that was a sign of his status. I want your coat, your stick, and your signet ring. That's a lot of things to give. Very personal stuff, which is why she wanted it, because it was very easily identifiable who it belonged to, especially the signoring. So he gives it to her. He gives it to her. They're together. And from that one night of intimacy, she becomes pregnant. And then in the morning, he leaves. She removes her veil. She goes back to wearing the garments of mourning that she had been wearing before. And Yehuda sends this goat. He doesn't bring it himself. He sends it with his friend, Chira the Adulamite. And to go get back the uh, collateral, the stick and the ring. And the end to ask around. And no one can find, there's no prostitute. They say, there's no prostitute that hangs up in the street. There's no one here that we don't know what you're talking about. So he comes back to Yehuda. He says, I asked around. I couldn't find her. And not only, that, and not only can I not find her, the people of the place said to me that there was never a prostitute in this place. It was a holy place. This is where Yehuda, where Avram would teach Torah. There's no, it's not like, uh, I don't know what's the... Uh, the, the, the seedy areas of town. It's not like, I don't know, Las Olas or whatever. This is, uh, this is, this is Coral Springs in the shul. You know, there's no, no prostitutes here. So Yehuda says, okay, what should I do? Maybe if we keep on asking around and publicizing, we're like looking for the person that I owe the go to, we come to public knowledge and I'm looking to pay this woman that I was with. And obviously you regretted what happened. So let it be what it will be. You see here the divine, how everything is meter connected meter, measure for measure. How did Yehuda trick his father? With a goat. He dipped the, the coat of Yosef into the blood of a kid goat. And therefore, how is he tricked by Tamar? With the kid goat that he tried to pay the kid goat. And she disappeared and he couldn't pay the goat. And says she now has his ring and his stick and his, uh, and his uh, cloak. Okay, three months go by. And all of a sudden, word comes to Yehoda that your daughter-in-law Tamar is pregnant. She's already showing. She's already visibly pregnant. 
Why was she already visibly pregnant? Only three months. She had twins inside her, so she was obviously carrying large. So Yehuda says, if she has already been pregnant, since she is the daughter of Shem, as I said to you before, therefore the, the halacha is, and the Torah says, that a bas koyin, the daughter of a koyin that is involved in adultery, is burnt. Regular adultery is hanging. When I was there, stoning, maybe probably stoning. But the, the adultery of a bas, the daughter of a koyin that comes from a more royal lineage, a more royal family, the Torah gives a special, special decree how she should be put to death for adultery. Therefore, since Tamar is the daughter of a Kohen, she's in the family of shame, she should be burnt for her uh, adultery. Now, even though Tamar could have very easily said, hold on a second, uh, this is you that did this. It's not an adultery. You're doing the mitzvah of Yibu. The father-in-law, the father could also do Yibu for the son. So it's not an adultery. It's in the family. But instead of saying that she didn't want to embarrass Yehuda and say, you are the one that slept with me. So instead, what does she do? She sends a message, and she says, here is the signet ring, and here is the stick, and here is the cloak of the person by which I became pregnant. Tell me, please, do you recognize to whom this belongs? Meaning, she is giving Yehuda the option to play stupid, play dumb. You know, every politician, the first day, yeah, they deny it, you know, the, the absolutely, God forbid, never uh, allegations. And then they, uh, and, and Yehuda could have done that. He could have denied it. And Tama would have been burnt. And she said, better that I should be burnt than that I should embarrass someone in public and publicly accuse him of what he had done wrong. So she puts the ball into Yehuda's court. And Yehuda could decide if he's going to be honest and fess up to what he did or not. Sure enough, by Yakya Yehuda, Yehuda recognizes it's his coat and it's his, uh, it's his uh, ring and his stick. He says, Tzadka Mimeni, she is righteous, the child came from me. And so why? It's my fault. Since I didn't give her to Shayla as a wife, I didn't give Shayla to her rather, therefore she came to be said and she was righteous in what she did and it was okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Torah says, he, he did not stop to know her. So there's a debate in the commentaries. What does it mean he did not stop to know her? Some say, if he did not increase to ever be with her again. It was a one-time thing they were together, and that was it. He never was, into, even though now they were married, because one of the ways of marriage is through intimacy, but uh, he never was with her again. And some commentators explain the exact opposite. He didn't stop from knowing her. Now that they were together, they became proper husband and wife, and they lived together you know, for the rest of whatever. They lived happily ever after. Anyway, at the time of birth, so these children are legitimate children born from a union between the father-in-law and the daughter-in-law to give, uh, fulfill the mitzvah of Yibam or to give children that was missing. And sure enough comes a time of birth and twins are in the stomach. We'll take questions and let me finish them. We'll take questions. Um, it says that the time of birth came because she actually gave birth two months early. In the seventh month of pregnancy, premature, she gives birth. And as she's in labor, these ladies had tough labors, I must tell you. One child sticks out his hand first. So what does the midwife do? She ties a scarlet bracelet, a scarlet uh, ribbon, rather, around the wrist of the first child to stick out his hand. I've never understood this part. I was a midwife, and they were busy doing that. The last thing I was doing was tying rings to scarlet you know, around the uh, baby. But they were very big into who's the firstborn. All the stories, Yaakov and Esav, and with, uh, even with Rachel and Leah, these like the twins that are fighting over the firstborn. Anyway. So 
she ties a, a scarlet bra- uh, bracelet around his, uh, ra- uh, his wrist, and then the boy pulls his hand back inside. So her hand came out of her womb, back into the womb. And now the next kid is pushing to get out, and sure enough, out comes Peretz first. And in halach and law, what's considered the firstborn? Not the baby that got his hand out first, but the baby that crowns first, the way that the head comes out first. So the one to come out head with a head first is Peretz, and therefore Peretz is considered the firstborn. And she says, "Ma paratsta alecha Peretz." With what uh, strength, with what vigor have you pushed yourself ahead? You were supposed to be second. The other kid was in front of you, and you pushed him to the back of the line in the womb, and you came out first. Ma paratsta alecha Peretz. With what strength you broke through the boundaries. This is a very, very Jewish idea. And this is going to, oh, let me finish. And the other kid came out and his name, and she called him Zerach. Why did she call him Zerach? Because of the Zerach means to shine. He had a shine of the red uh, bracelet on his, on, his, uh, on his wrist. And therefore she called him Zerach. But Peretz is going to be, or is, the beginning of the dynasty of David HaMelech. In fact, in Luchadoidi, we say every Friday night in Luchadoidi, what do we say? In a second, when we turn on the right before the end, we say, Yamin Usmal Tifreti, right to the right and to the left, you shall spread out, and the Lord you shall extol, Al Yad Ish Ben Parti, through, we shall rejoice through the man who is a descendant of Peretz. The one that will bring joy to the Jewish people will be Mashiach, will be Ben Parti, a son of Peretz, which means that the, 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 yeah, the Davidic dynasty of Yehuda. And eventually the kings, etc., come through this union of Yehuda and Tamar through Peretz, where the lowest becomes the highest, and this will eventually become the beginning of Mashiach. Yes, okay, now I'll take questions.